foolish Gentiles who have bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portionate as crucified. You, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Or are you, are you so foolish after being the Spirit, being with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Nothing you, you, have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you what because you believe what you heard consider Abraham he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed among with Abraham, the man of faith. Although really rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified God by the law, because the righteousness will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. The con on the contrary, the man who does th these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of law by becoming a curse for us. It, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come through the Gentiles, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thank you for that reading, Brielle. The kids are invited to Kids Church. If you're interested in testing your vision after the service, you can take a look at Brielle's Bible. Um, she had Galatians, all of Galatians 1 through 3 on one page and then flipped it, which I, was, I didn't think that would fit.
Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave up his life for our sins so that he might snatch us out of the grasp of the present evil age, thus acting in accordance with the attention of God, our Father. Amen. That is the opening sort of statement from, uh, of Paul's gospel in the book of Galatians, and we've been reading it every week to be reminded of sort of what Paul is trying to teach them. His first is that we've been rescued from our sins, that Christ gave up his life for our sins, and second, that he has taken us out of this present evil age. I think American Christians, um, that at least in my development, we've, we've really nailed that God is rescuing us from our sins, saving us from our sins, but the notion that God is taking us out of the present evil age and perhaps placing us in a new sphere of relationship and of understanding of being um, in God uh, has perhaps not been followed through as much. And so that's one of the themes that I'm trying to been, I've been trying to bring out of Paul's epistle to the Galatians is what is this um, rescue that God is undertaking for us. And as we move forward today, we have Abraham. Next week, we have uh, Uh, David and then Sarah and Hagar and then these are David's a real person Sarah and Hagar are the people that Paul is going to talk about in in the next section sorry and then uh, Sarah and Hagar are real people I've messed up this one Um, then uh, we'll get to sort of what what some scholars look at is is Paul describing a new exodus and what he's describing in the book of Galatians, that people were in slavery and they're being brought into freedom, and that this should be reminding them of the exodus that undertaken in the Old Testament. Um, and so Paul, in the next, uh, from chapters 3 to basically um, the beginning of 5, is going to be sort of working through Old Testament imagery and portraying how that has been um, anticipating the Christ event. Um, and, and it is fulfilled in the Christ event. So that is sort of the journey we'll be on for the next couple of weeks. Um, but we started with that, with that introduction where Paul is talking about rescue from the present evil age. And the next week after that, he, he did a certain critique like he did this week, is, is how are you falling for other gospels? How are you leaving the gospel in which has been entrusted to you, in which Christ appeared in your midst? And we talked about uh, first the challenge of, of what that meant in the context. And in this week, we might be able to project a little bit better what these other teachers, these rivals of Paul, are telling the Galatians. But at that moment, we also looked at how other gospels take place in our midst, how other gospels sort of can crowd out the gospel of Jesus Christ in all churches. And we'll, we'll catch on to that again today. And then Paul went through this biography of himself where he wants to remind them that this gospel did not come from human origin, but is one that has been revealed by God. It's not like every other human schema that, that Paul is saying of where you just pass it on and this, that, and the other. But in some sense that, that this has been um, apocalyptic, um, unveiled, revealed, taught in the world in a different way. And then Paul walks through how that journey for him led him to the Jerusalem church and some relationship there, positive relationship, that led to sort of a fight with Peter over how these false teachers have been infiltrating there and sort of re-dividing the church, pulling it apart in other places. Paul opposes Peter to his face. And then in the next section, which we closed with, we went through how Paul is dying to the law so that he might live for God. 
He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And so we pick up today, you foolish Galatians, um, laying out what, what Paul has, has described to them as sort of, and it, the, the word we've been trying to use is, is evangelion, um, his gospel, um, this announcement of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And this is in Paul's language and in the New Testament language, most often an announcement of what God has done. It was taken from the pagan world and what, it was an announcement of what Caesar or birth or something else, but now it is the announcement of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And in that way, as an announcement, we, whether we respond to it or not, it's still in truth. It's not like if you say, well, I don't care, the announcement of what something has happened disappears. And this is part of what I think will help us gain the full measure of what Paul's trying to talk about in Galatians is that, is that there's been a rupture in the world so that this news is news that can't be just defeated by I don't hear it. And so Paul wants to know, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has put you under a spell? Now, um, in high school, if you happen to be of a, you meet a girl and people say, you know, or a boy or whatever, it's like, how have you fallen under her spell, right? Uh, my mother never said that to me. Um, she's not here, so you have to trust me. Um, but what Paul is saying is something that actually might have happened in the ancient world. This is not just a saying like, I don't think mothers and fathers who say that to their daughters and sons are actually alleging that there's magic going on with the opposite sex, or at least magic that can be defined as magic, I guess. But um, that they, Paul is asking them, have they fallen under a curse of someone else? Are teachers there making something, in some sense, and again, in the ancient world, magical so that you are losing track of the faith in which he's given you? How have you fallen under that spell? And we're going we're gonna to go through one through five, which I think set up a, um, one thing, and then we'll walk through six in Abraham, and then we'll walk through the law at the end, just so you have a sense of what, where we're going. But um, Paul wants to know how have they fallen away from this. They, this section, 1 through 5, is really just five questions. Paul cannot understand how they have fallen away from this gospel. He's trying to, to ask them, are you so foolish? Did you begin by the means of the Spirit, and are you going to finish by the means of the flesh? Um, I have this passage up here. Yeah, there you go. Um, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to warn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law or by believing what you heard? This, this passage that, that Jesus was clearly portrayed before you as crucified. As Paul is saying that when he preached and when this gospel was received in Galatia, Christ was made present there as a vivid portrait to them. The, the, the Greek language isn't just hearing, but in some sense, he became real in their presence. As Christ has become real in your presence, how is it you're going to something else? This is where, as we talked in the earlier sermons, gospel plus something can really fail, right? 
If Christ vividly became portrayed in your presence through the hearing of the gospel, and, and for many of us, I think we can um, think back to moments in our lives. Uh, it might have been the moment of, of conversion, um, if that's the language you move. It might have been the language of, of reassurance of faith. But this moment of when Christ became real to us. And Paul says, how would you add more to that? Are you really going to go beyond that when Christ was clearly manifest in that sphere? And, and Christianity today has made a lot of, uh, of good money off of sort of selling you the next experience to do this with. For a long time, it was more high energy. As if Christ became manifest in that place, how much more would ma- Christ become manifest at a, at a Michael W. Smith concert? Or uh, that's going back a long ways. Um, um, or, or uh, a charismatic experience, or something beyond how, and Paul would be amazed by that. And now it, it, it seems to be reversing. Uh, having received Christ in the moment in which you received him, in which there was no magic or something like that, you, you, you now go back to the liturgy. Um, and as, as defines church, we practice the liturgy here and try to have that be a fullness part of our faith. But if we start to think that's what adds to the ability of Christ or God to be revealed to us, we've missed it. It's that God has become manifest to you in your life. We have ways in which wisdom we decide to worship together, but they don't make God more manifest to us. Having received a vivid portrait of Christ in the hearing of the gospel, how is it we would add more to it? Paul introduces the Spirit here, too. This is, this is going to take up a, a, a massive chunk of the later part of this letter, is that the Spirit has come among you. The Spirit is making Christ present in your sphere. How is it you're going to add to that? Now, flesh, is, as Paul uses it here, um, uh, you're going to finish by the means of the flesh. In, in some sense, he's alluding very clearly to circumcision, but I think in our context, too, it's like, are you going to finish this by yourself? Is more effort going to get you there? Or is more trust, believing into, as we talked about that, that Greek word faith, it expands to more than just um, uh, acquiescence but it's this trust it's this moving into it's this being in as are you going to be able to go beyond that by your own means have you experienced much in vain if it really was in vain so i ask again does god give you the spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or because you believed what you heard that you trusted in what god had done in the announcement of what he had done in conquering death through jesus christ or, as he says early in the letter, that he's removed your sins and removed you from the present evil age. Are you going to go backwards to that? The quote on the back of the bulletin today uh, comes from Rudolf Boltman. The spirit is the miraculous divine power that stands in contrast that, to all that is human. The spirit is the miraculous divine power that stands in contrast to all that is human. Are you going to go back to trusting in your own hands? Are you going to trust in that divine power that stands in contrast to all that is human? 
Paul in Romans, and he alludes to in Galatians too, is that God is making things out of things that didn't exist before, calling into being things that weren't there. Are you going to go back to working harder yourself? Through removing some skin, through taking on some, some ritual uh, dietary restriction, which that's actually, I'm referring to the ancient context there, but works today as well. Um, uh, I'm going whole 30. Um, are you going to uh, be able to repair those things yourself? Are you going to stand in this? And in this way, the Spirit, is, as we get into it, is revealing that new age, that new creation, that thing from beyond. Before we go forward to the next section of Scripture, there's two things. We'll probably just do one, but maybe we'll do two. Is, is this image, um, and this I, I called a graph for a long time, but it's not a graph. It's an image of a story, and it's a story that we can place ourselves in. It's a narrative we can inhabit. This is not, a, I called it a graph, which is a bad way of describing it. What it's trying to grasp with is how we live and understand our world. Now, I did not invent this. This is my handwriting and drawing, but this is a, um, a, a thing for interpreting both the Exodus story, if you want to read that top line as that time in slavery, and that bottom line as that time in which they are in the wilderness, in which they finally reach the promised land, which if you a uh, uh, close reading of the Old Testament sort of maintains that they never quite get to the fullness that is the promised land. They are always in that box of the already and not yet. But I come back to this often, especially when we're doing Paul or Torah, to keep suggesting that th this is a frame, it's a, it's a narrative image that we can inhabit ourselves and begin to understand perhaps some of our lives a little bit better. That Paul is saying in this uh, Galatians is that we are in this present evil age that is defined by slavery, sin, and death. And this is the age in which Paul thinks the flesh will try to rule. The flesh will try to bring about the goodness that is only being pointed to but never quite there yet. And for what Paul happens, and, and what happens in the New Testament, or what happens in, in uh, the Exodus, is that there is a rescue, a liberation undertaken by God. In the Exodus, this is the uh, journey uh, through the Red Sea. In uh, the New Testament, this is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that creates a rupture in time. And so as Christians and as people um, brought into this new creation that are pointing to this, the Spirit's doing this transforming work. That second line, uh, all the way on the right, where this timeline is now defined by life, which is of an eternal kind, forgiveness and freedom and new creation. The Spirit is what's bringing us there through this adoption into God's family. that We now cry out, Abba, Father. And so what Paul is arguing here, and what he's going to, to argue in this next section that we get to is, is that you can begin to try and repair the old age to live in that spot. Or you can begin to trust that you've been brought into the age of the Spirit. Into the age in which, in which you are inhabiting a new place and a new sphere of life. And this is where, I, I made this, uh, People are able to say this like a joke. I never quite get it right. But the, the idea is that we have people today who say, you know, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord and that has affected some sort of change like that, but that's just my personal opinion. 
um, you, you can see that that misses the point of what's been ruptured in the world. Um, and that, that has tangible effects, too, is that is it's not called, um, uh, we, we briefly hit on, um, I think if you came to the book of Galatians and your question was, how do I take myself from life on earth into heaven? You, would, you could sketch that reference maybe because you're using stuff from other things that have formed you. But if you were just trying to answer what is the book of Galatians about, you would say it's about how we get ourselves involved in God's new creation. That's what Paul is going to end with. What matters is new creation. And so that's not even like um, there's a reason why heaven at least at this moment, isn't on there because it's this age in which um, God renews us in this place. Um, I mentioned when we, we talked about that, I disagree with that, that scholarly line that says that's the main point but of everything, but that we can find comfort in heaven still. But you're not going to get there from the book of Galatians, I think. Um, you're going to find yourself grappling with new creation, in the midst of this present evil age. And so we live in this overlap um, in a lot of ways. We inhabit, we can't uh, get too proud of ourselves for inhabiting only the new age. We live both uh, in the old age and in the new age as believers today. Paul, in some sense, will at times allude to that we are people of the new age that have habits that cling to the old age. Um, you'll see that in Romans. At times, um, church tradition and other places have interpreted that, you know, we are, we are more in need of rescue even in the hope that God has done for us. Um, we are still clinging to that old line harder than we think we are. And at times, uh, the church can get too triumphant and think it's making the new age itself. Um, perhaps a temptation with modern politics today. We make the new age of Christ rather than we trust in the Spirit. This is some of the dichotomies that are going to show up in this section of Paul's letter. Uh, promise and law, that God's promise is being fulfilled or whether we are functioning by law, that the Spirit is coming amongst us or the flesh. And flesh here is, is human effort, perhaps more than it is bodies. The, the new creation is not against the body. Um, Faith uh, over works, freedom over bondage, blessing over curse. We see that in this next section we're going to go to. Whether we are children of God or going back to being slaves, putting ourselves back into Egypt. And this is, this is what happens with freedom. We'll talk about it more as we get there. But, but oftentimes when we are trying to move away from something and rescue in a good way, we sometimes want to go back to where we knew what happened in those patterns. Went through the book of Numbers, we talked about, um, you know, they, they said, well, can't we go back to Egypt where we at least had garlic? And I tried to say that when we leave addictions behind, most clearly you'll see this in the modern world, but you can come up, when we leave addictions behind, whether they be alcoholism or pornography or social media or something like that, we begin to think, you know, I didn't like it that much. I was more anxious or I was more out of it or I was more um, unable to relate to people in goodness. But at least I know when I came home from a sad day from work, there'd be this little fire to kindle and keep me comfort. It's hard to lose those identity markers. And so, you know, it, we say children of God and slaves, who would choose that? I think we're not doing soul work enough. It's like the comforts that come from knowing what happens at what time and what place and who, what people will be there are much greater than we think they are. I think we look at this and say, oh, how could you be so dumb when in fact it's like, it's, it's us. 
um, the unity of all people, and then Paul is going to include them that they are after the disunity of all people. Um, this brings us to our next section of Scripture. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance so that Abraham, all nations will be blessed for you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul here turns to Abraham, which is a bit of a weird term because his uh, audience, as is, is most interpreters of Galatians assume, is a Gentile audience. How much would they know about Abraham? Which brings us to, this is probably what the teachers are telling them. The teachers, these people who have infiltrated Galatia and are trying to get them, Paul brought you Jesus. Paul gave you some sense of the Spirit. But if you want to be fully in, you need to be practicing the faith of Abraham and you need to be practicing circumcision, and you need to be practicing these dietary laws. And in a way, this is a way of having control. We have our own purity. We have our own sphere. We have our own cleanliness. And so we, adding to Paul's gospel, or giving you the full thing, not just the weak part of it, are inviting you into that. And, what, and, and there's a... A common teaching at this time um, about Abraham that Paul is, is going to confront here, if I can find it. Abraham was the great father of a multitude of nations, and no one has been found like him in glory. He kept the law of the Most High and entered a new covenant with him. He certified the covenant in his flesh. This is what they're teaching about Abraham at this time. And part of this time uh, is that he kept the law of the Most High is the common understanding of Abraham at this time. That Abraham was faithful Jew who kept all of the law. But what Paul is going to bring them to is that the law actually comes after Abraham. Um, I think mathematically, if you add up from Abraham to Moses, it's about 470 years. And so what Paul is saying is that Abraham is not rect or Abraham was not justified or rectified or put into right relationship with God or or by anything other than his faith in God. And that was the passage we read that Brian read for us today, is that Abraham is worried. And, and what the, that passage, which Paul is using here from Genesis 15, precedes circumcision too. It's the next meeting from God is where circumcision is enacted. And so God in the Old Testament is rectifying Abraham, justifying Abraham by faith, separated from circumcision by at least some period of time, and separated from the law by at least 400 years. What Paul is trying to help the Galatians read, know is these people are trying to put you back into that spot of what he is going to sort of contest is slavery unto the law or trying to save yourself by works or working through this way. Is in, in, and it's the sphere of blessing and curse that he says even Abraham, the model in which they hold up, was brought back into relationship to God by faith in seeing what God would do. And that's, that's one way of reading Genesis 15. It's, it's Abraham's faith in response to God's announcement of what he's going to do through him that God justifies. It's faith in the action of God, not faith in Abraham's faith. That's sort of the transformative moment there. And so Abraham is one brought into redemption 
by the work of God, and that God who, who justifies him because of faith, not because of human work. Neither circumcision nor keeping the law if you're playing by the teacher's proof text. And um, we got one more section of scripture to go through, but I, I do want to say that that so much of what modern interpreters of Galatians will do, and it's starting to change, is say that these are Paul's proof texts to correct the teachers. And I think that's partially true, but the Abraham image is so loaded for what Paul wants the Galatians to know, that you are the Gentiles being received into faith, that the promise that God enacted in Abraham is the promise that is being fulfilled in you. And that promise to Abraham is not only, it, it takes place in that they will be a blessing unto the nations, which I think is, is one of those things in which the church to, to reclaim imaginatively is that we are blessed, called into this realm, so that we can be a blessing unto the nations in that Abrahamic way. And, and in that way, that still holds. And that, that God is making one family, not two families. This is why Paul is so angry at the teachers, is they want two families or two separate ways of being in this. And, and Paul wants to say, no, the fulfillment of this is one family which was promised through Abraham. All nations will be blessed for you, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. They're being brought into this faith. And then the last is that, that Abraham will inherit the land. Um, that, that we, as, as if we take Paul's references here, not just as, as proof text, but in the expansive way, which perhaps he meant them, is that we are people that will have tangible relation to the world and new creation. It's not just the spirit or pie in the sky or something else like that. But there's, there's a real family, a real um, lineage, and a real land, and a real place that God is promising unto us as we go on the journey to being a blessing to all people, to be numerous, um, to go out into the whole world. And Christ is bringing about the fulfillment of that. This is the next section. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As written, cursed is anyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, one, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, everyone is cursed. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that a blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is um, quite a heavy section overlaid with Old Testament teaching. But what Paul is clearly trying to, to sort of lay out for the Galatians is that uh, for all those who rely on works of law are under a curse. What the passages he's using are from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and Paul is kind of um, selectively editing them or, or putting them forth. But his major point is that if you Galatians, you Gentiles, have received and had the Spirit active amongst you, you've seen the vivid portrait of Christ and those miraculous worlds and the Spirit that comes and points to that new world beyond is active amongst you. Why would you move into a relationship that has blessing and curse? Why would you move into a place that has the threat of curse over you, whereas this new spirit does not contain the threat of curse? So even if he's, and you can look up the, the, the proof text 
sorry, you can look up the text he's referring to on this um, and, and see that they're kind of um, being changed in some way to, to say what you could make it say Paul is saying that the law is, is kind of worthless, when in fact he's trying to say is that this is a relationship that you don't really want to enter into, because this one has these two ways, which one is curse and one is blessing. What he says, this new way doesn't hold out curse over you. It holds out freedom. It holds out goodness. It holds out truth. It holds out beauty. And so why would you go back in to that other place? Why would you go back to that other way? And one of the chief questions we've been sort of asking throughout the book of Galatians, which is the, the question that it's trying to answer, is what brings us into right relationship with God? What justifies us? What rectifies us? What brings us into new creation? And what Paul continually tries to say, and we went through this last week, is Jesus Christ is the actor there. And so much so, even in the interpretation of Galatians 2 last week, it is the faithfulness of Christ that brings us there not our own faithfulness. It is God's work through and through as it was with Abraham, and it is now is that God's work is doing that for us. You see that highlighted portion up there, and, and what Paul in, in the Greek would be more clear is no one will be rectified by law is what he's saying. No one will be redeemed by the law. No one will be justified or set to faith by the law. And then in the other passage, he's saying the one justified by faith is the one uh, who lives. I forgot the S. The one justified pace is the one who lives. And what it appears that um, Paul is arguing is that Jesus is that one. And there's almost um, uh, uh, a way in, in this is that Christ's faith is the one that justifies, and he is the one who lives from this new age, going back to that, that image. He, he, Christ is the one who lives in this new age and brings about this freedom for us. Christ is, the, and that's a reference, these two passages that Paul used are the two places in the Old Testament where justification or rectification or such are paired with faith in the Old Testament. Um, this is Paul uh, displaying that it is faith all along that has been the rectifying force for God. Um, the last portion of that, uh, that teaching will be the end of today's sermon. This is cursed as everyone hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That passage that just flashed up there is from the book of Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 16, in which the priest was to take the goat, the live goat, and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. Um, the priest is to, in some sense, uh, lay the sins on the goat by telling him, the goat, <laughs> all the sins of the Israelites. And the goat, this goat, takes those sins out into the wilderness. What Paul is saying about what Christ has done on the cross is that effectively we have laid our sins upon him. And, and this goat thing, it's an imaginative thing that we don't have, that things transfer like this. I mean, in the ancient world, if you went through a temple that you didn't believe in, you might worry that it would be contagious unto you. Um, we've monotheism in the West particularly has won out, so we don't believe that. But, but they, they believed that you could transfer these things in that way. And what he's, Paul is arguing is that 
um, Christ in his faithful life has taken upon all of the curse for us. That he has stood in our stead. That he has taken on both um, the bad of the world, but also our inability to be what we've aimed to be. He's taken on that curse and brought about something new. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And this is from Deuteronomy, if I remember correctly. And, and, and you couldn't leave the body up overnight because if you left the body up, it would corrupt the land in which they were going to. Again, they have a, a universe that is much more expansive than ours. We're very flat in this. If you leave the body up overnight, just take it down the next day. But in some sense, that would be corrupting to the land and to the place. Christ takes on that curse for us. And I think in this way, to be rectified by faith and to see that Christ has taken this on, as, as we get further into this series, I think it will help us um, begin to learn to abandon ideology, um, to begin to learn to abandon equations, making deals with the world so that we get what we want. And I think in many ways, I think, I hope that It'll teach us to abandon um, our self-health efforts to justify ourselves in our own eyes or in somebody else's eyes or in God, but to live into the freedom into the new creation which God has had for us. And so there are two ways in which I want to sort of image that for us. The first is, and my friend came up with this, has anybody seen the movie Eight Mile and being willing to admit it today with Eminem? Hey, some people. You, some of you saw it, but you're not willing to admit it. Um, the movie Eight Miles about the rapper Eminem in some great ways, um, not great ways, in some ways, um, and what he uh, in the story is a white rapper um, in rap at this time in Detroit is heavily black. And uh, what they do in these rap things is they have rap battles where they sort of go up in front of people and you say negative things about the other person and they say negative things about you and there's some art to it and it's not just saying negative things about each other but in some ways well that's definitely the point um but but um uh that's how you decide who wins or not and somehow Eminem, as a white guy, has done relatively well in this world and is at the final sort of battle of the movie in which he is going against someone. And it's clear he's, he's struggling with identity and how he's going to do this. And what he does when he gets up there for this last one is he actually makes fun of himself through and through. And in this way, he takes on the curse himself. And in this way, that disarms what the other person can say. Paul in Corinthians will talk about how, um, in Colossians 2, is that strength and weakness has now been flipped because of what Christ has done. Weak is strong. Strong is weak. And that's rule for all of us now. That, that's, that's a truth of the universe. So in being able to say, here's the ways in which I'm terrible, Eminem did, He's disarmed what else can happen to him. I've said this before, but Christians are those whom, whom nothing worse can happen than already has happened to them in being brought into Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. We've experienced the worst of what humanity can do. The second, for those of you who didn't see Eminem, I'm sure you'll get this one, comes from the Chronicles of Narnia. See, both and, both and here. We didn't just do the, uh, we're going for both worlds. Um, 
The Chronicles of Narnia, if those of you who aren't familiar with the story, it tells the story of Edmund's betrayal in some ways in the first half. It's one of the first things that happens when he enters into the, through the wardrobe, into the, this is the Lion, the Rich, and the Wardrobe, the first book released. No, I don't want to get in that fight. Anyways, um, yeah, it's like the third, but not. Um, you, he enters into the forest, and he immediately is involved in betrayal. And what happens is, is that the young kids that enter with him want Edmund back. And betrayal is, is, is serious sin. Um, betrayal means that you know the truth in some ways and you decide not to enact the truth. You, you lie. Um, and so the White Witch, if, again, if you've never read it, I'm trying to give his best. As, the White Witch is the adversary in this universe, has Edmund, and, and Aslan, who is the Christ figure, is friends with the young children and knows that Edmund needs to come back to them. And so... What happens is, is uh, Aslan offers himself up on stone tablets for the White Witch. And these stone tablets exhibit the law of what that world was governed by. This is where it is written that betrayers must die. But what Aslan says is, I'll take on the role of the betrayer, not the betrayer himself. He takes on the role of the betrayer. For the White Witch, this is quite the victory because he's, in some sense, the god or the worshipped one of this region. Um, and so she brings him to the stone tablet and murders him upon it. And as Christ, Lewis, is, if you're not familiar, is telling the Christian allegorical story, is what happens is as, as the next day comes, the stone tablet breaks. The one who took on the curse, the one who became a curse for us, is in some sense now able freed beyond it. And so we'll end with this is what Aslan says to the kids as he is risen again to them. It means that though the white witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only into the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little bit further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawn, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had uh, a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in the traitor's stead, the table would crack, and death itself would start working backwards. And now is that time. Let us pray. God, you have revealed yourself vividly in your son in our lives. And at times, we have thought and added and looked for different ways to keep that going. We've tried to finish the race by flesh rather than trusting in the spirit that came when you came amongst us. And so, too, through your servant Paul, you are demonstrating to us how we've been grafted into Abraham's family, that we are inheritors of that promise, promise that we will be a great nation, that we will be in the land, and that we will be a blessing to others in that. So too, you also demonstrate for us freedom from the law. In that exchange, it's blessing and curse before us. But Paul, it advocates that we move into this new realm now governed by the Spirit, pointing to that new age, that Christ, as he took on the curse for us, has freed us from that 
and that we can live a life of new creation bound by your Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.